welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Coming up on this episode, I take a boat trip across the Thames to discuss the environmental implications of the Tideway Tunnel, a multi-million pound sewer development that will improve pollution and plastic waste in the capital. So the sewer system he designed back in 1860s, it worked it's in amazing condition. It's like the cathedral of sewer systems <laughs> of the world. Uh, brickwork is in great condition, but unfortunately it was designed for only 4 million people and every time we get any kind of rainfall, all the uh, sewer goes straight into the Thames untreated. And of course, we'll also have roundups of all the notable news stories and interesting innovations. Well, what a week it's been so far. While retailers and potentially even nations are thinking of ways to break up with plastics, everyone else is getting all loved up for Valentine's Day. Uh, Some rogue Cupid has gone around the office here um, this morning to give out love hearts, which means they've already put more thought into the day than me, which my girlfriend will not be very happy with. And as much as we'd like to bring you a Valentine's Day themed podcast, we will be spending the majority of this episode speaking about sewage. But before we do that, I think it's about time we heard from uh, Mr. George Ogilby. George, last time we heard from you, it was a rather fleeting reflection at the uh, Sustainability Leaders Forum, a rather tired reflection as well. Um, So for those that missed that part, George, why don't you tell them a bit about not just your week so far, but also the exciting new job role that you've taken up. Mm, Yeah, thanks for that, Matthew. Um, Yeah, it's good to be back on the show, feeling a lot more reinvigorated probably than the last time (laughs) you heard me. I think uh, that was the end of a very long um, two days at the uh, conference. Um, very, very good conference, mm. but uh, it definitely was quite draining. So uh, we're back um, with renewed vigour. Uh, yes, as you mentioned, I've got a new um, important sounding job title <laughs> now. Um, uh, thankfully, um, I've been handed the role of uh, inside editor. Mm. Um, Congratulations. I'm sure there's a, there's a round of applause going on in people's cars and trains right now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I highly doubt it. But um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real honour to take on the role. Um, but uh, with power comes great responsibility, as you know, Matt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure I'll be doubling my efforts for the ED cause in the next few months. Uh, for those who are even remotely interested in what the role entails, it will require a lot more in-depth analysis, features, taking a lot more of the ED explains and uh, full responsibility for the sector insights. Um, so yeah, very interesting, very exciting. I um, can't wait to get stuck in. Good to hear, good to hear. And we were uh, also meant to be hearing from ED's content director, Luke Nichols, on this episode. It was meant to be his kind of grand return. He, he also made a fleeting appearance um, at, at the SLF podcast special. He was also actually in the awards bit, but we had to cut that because the audio wasn't very good, um, which, he will, which he'll be a bit annoyed about. But um, he's come down with a rather nasty case of bronchitis, mm. which isn't nice. Although rumours are swelling that he mainly just ate too many pancakes on Tuesday. The truth will eventually reveal itself. But um, in his absence, we will get on with this episode's main event. George, did you know that overflows of untreated sewage into the tidal River Thames add up to the tens of millions of tonnes every year? I didn't know that, no. No, No, neither did I until a week or so ago when I got a glimpse of the Tideway Tunnel project, which aims to clean up this mess. Now, essentially, all that untreated um, sewage just ends up in the River Thames and it pollutes it 
and it can stay up into the river for up to three months before the kind of ebb and flow of the tide finally washes it out to sea. It's just pollution at its root cause, um, mm-hmm. essentially. And, and I went down uh, to London Bridge and I spoke to the project's uh, head of environmental sustainability. And I, I was just shocked to find that such a modern city with, with its high rises, its, its new builds, had such a essentially outdated sewer mm. system. Um, you'll, you'll hear on, on, on the interview that it's not necessarily the infrastructure that's a problem. It's just that the population of London has grown to a point where it can't handle that. So that's where all this sewage comes from. Mm. And not only will the new system stop untreated sewage being spilled out into the Thames, but it will also um, use some of that sewage for energy. Um, mm. So, you know, it's essentially, I don't know if you class it as renewable, but it's essentially bioenergy, which is good to see. And... Um, it will also prevent a lot of plastics from ending up in nearby waterways. There's a lot of collection points which aim to collect plastics, not just bottles and stuff, but the stuff that you see that get flushed down the toilet quite mm. a lot. Um, so it's got it's got a multitude of, of benefits, and I could sit here for quite a while telling you about them and the sustainability credentials of the project, but I'm sure you and, and the listeners would rather listen to the experts than me. So as a special Valentine's Day gift from myself to you all, here's my trip to the Tideway Boat Tour in full. It's a, it's a Monday afternoon, I, I'm in London Bridge, it is, it's very windy, there's some light drizzle and some dark looking clouds out on the horizon, so it's the perfect time for a boat trip. Uh, I'm, I'm here today to have a, a tour of the River Thames, but this is, uh, this is not just leisure, there, there is also work afoot, and, and whereas I could tell you um, what I'm doing and, and why I'm here, I'm actually going to give that honour to um, Darren White, who is the Head of Environmental Sustainability at Tideway. Um, Tideway is, is, of course, a London-based company um, working on a huge infrastructure project um, across the Thames. So, Darren, for our, for our listeners who perhaps aren't aware of, of Tideway and what they're up to, perhaps you just want to fill us in? Thank you, Matt. Um, Tideway is the organisation responsible for the delivery of the Thames Tideway Tunnel, which is part of uh, three schemes put forward for the London Improvement Works, which is the upgrade of the sewer system at Beckton and Abbey Mills, the construction of the Lee Tunnel that was commissioned last year, and then the Thames Tideway Tunnel, which is 25 kilometres long, um, from a depth of 35 metres down in Acton to about 65 metres down in um, Abbey Mills. And the idea of the project is to capture all the discharges that come from the combined sewer outfalls, um, discharging from Joseph Bazalgette's sewer system. So the sewer system he designed back in 1860s, it worked it's in amazing condition. It's like the cathedral of sewer systems <laughs> of the world. Uh, brickwork is in great condition, but unfortunately it was designed for only 4 million people. And every time we get any kind of rainfall, all the uh, sewer goes straight into the Thames untreated. So on average, we have about 40 million cubic meters of raw sewage um, and litter discharged into the Thames, which because it's tidal, spends a few weeks sloshing up and down before it actually gets out to the, into the estuary and out into the sea. So oh, wow. the idea of the tunnel is to actually capture these discharges um, to protect the river and obviously protect the ecology and all the aquatic life in the river. Okay, so that's that's a huge uh, undertaking that's essentially going on, and I suppose it, it ticks off in regards to sustainability a few things. You've got the that that health and well-being aspect, I suppose, for for some of the London residents. You've obviously got the uh, 
the waste and resource efficiency piece, which is obviously huge in the news right now. And, and I suppose it's also that that look at that um, that future living mega city urban expansion and, and just coping um, with that. So, so how long has this project been in the works for? You know, who who's involved in in how essentially it's been put together? It's probably been in discussion for over ten years. The project. Okay. So any project this size size especially going through great cities such as London um, and especially tunnelling underneath the Thames, going through all these different interfaces of uh, trying to dig underneath every single um, tunnel or inter sort of utility interface in London, all the piling from all the buildings, all this sort of other tunnels that nobody knows about. Uh, it's taken a long time in the planning. It was a Thames Water sponsored project initially. Now we're a standalone infrastructure provider um, upon licence award about two years ago okay. um, when we were granted the development consent order. We're now a standalone company um, again to construct the tunnel and then to operate the tunnel. Okay and um, you've invited me up here today, uh, we're currently in your in your office as well but um, we won't be in the offices for long, we're, we're heading out on a boat trip which isn't just for me, it's not like a privately rented uh, uh, yacht or anything as much as uh, that would be nice. Um, I'm, I'm right in thinking there's going to be about 70, 80 people on, on this boat trip, which is essentially um, a trip that stops off at some of the key kind of developmental areas for the project. What, what are the, um, I suppose, well, not, not what, but who are the other people on this boat trip? Because there's, there's an educational purpose for them as well. Yep, so the boat trips, uh, we use them as part of an induction to the project. Okay. So anyone who's coming to work for us, whether or not they're in the office, in the project management teams, or uh, the uh, teams on sites, whether or not you're the supply chain, anyone involved in the project, to get access to our sites, they have two-tiered um, induction process. One of them is through our Epic Centre, which is this um, behavioural-based uh, training um, complex we've built, and then the second is the boat trip. And the idea is that the boat trip, we take along all the sites so they see the project as it is at the moment. Mm -hmm. Also, they get to understand that the project is at the, um, the heart of London. So we're working in some iconic sites right outside uh, Houses of Parliament, London Eye, okay. uh, Tower Hamlets, all these sort of areas where we're working in communities right next door to communities. Um, so it gives them an idea of what you're working on. So they get to see the extent of the discharges. You'll see if it's raining, you'll actually see the uh, discharges coming out. So you might get raw sewage coming out, <laughs> okay. sort of floating alongside next to you. But it's really to give them a bit of ownership into the project. So we don't want people coming to work just thinking, I'm here to earn some money, I'll do the nine to five and I'll go home again. Um, we want them to actually to have a purpose to come into work, to actually see what the whole project's about so they understand the context and hopefully have a bit of pride in what they're doing. Okay, so it's a, it's a real kind of staff engagement piece in that sense. Yep. Yeah, it's employee engagement. Also, we use it as a way of um, engaging with our stakeholders, our shareholders, whether or not they're sort of government representatives. Um, and again, it's just it's a lot easier. We've got 25 sites around the whole of the Thames. Most of those are um, river-based and it's a good way of actually just seeing what we're up to. Okay, well, I, I did see the, the boat outside. Um, uh, I, I wasn't quite sure, boat trip, whether that was going to be a kind of rickety old fishing boat or kind of a glass bottom one, but it, it's very modern um, and, importantly for me, indoors. So at least we're going to stay dry on this trip. So um, I think we should probably head off onto that boat and um, you can give me a bit more insight. 
So we've just gone past um, the Alberts embankment on, on the boat tour. We've gone past a couple of like recognisable landmarks, London Eye and whatnot. But um, I, I've, been, I've been told every kind of point where, where the new sewer system will be drilled down, where, where the new kind of system goes in place. And the Albert embankment was one of them. And, and one of the things I noticed along that area was uh, the amount of plastic that kind of gets just washed up, I suppose, along the kind of um, shoreline. Um, and Darren, I take it that the new system isn't just in place, and it's primarily there obviously to, to collect the sewage and, and, and improve that, but the amount of plastic and, and disposable uh, waste that gets flushed down towards, that's going to have a, a big impact. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it's estimated that about 10,000 tonnes of sewage drive litter, SDL we call it, um, is it's all discharged every year into the Thames. So that's all the cotton buds, the wet wipes, anything that people will flush down the toilet or just gets um, washed down the drain. So cigarette butts, those sort of thing, drink containers. So when we're in operation, apart from, as you said, taking out all the um, sewage discharge, we're actually capturing about 96% of that as well. Or when we're in operation, it'll be captured up at um, Beckton and Abbey Mills, where the actual sewage treatment plant is, and be treated as energy recovery. But during the construction phase, some of our teams actually on site are working with Thames 21. They're doing all the litter picks on the foreshore and with some of the volunteers. And we're actually trying to capture, record what they're doing so we know what types of material they're collecting. Also, we're working with an organisation called Hubbub to try and create, they've got one in operation already, Polymer, which is the world's first boat made of recycled plastic. We're trying to get them to work on a design of actually making plaswood, which is the wood, uh, wood alternative, to see if they can just use general uh, rubbish from the Thames. So if there's all the dirty, not that just the clean material, actually using just general rubbish, can that be changed into a viable product and then going into being used to boat, uh, boat making. Our overall vision of not just actually creating a tunnel, not just building a project, um, vital part of London's infrastructure, it's actually reconnecting uh, Londoners with the Thames. So seeing it as a viable economic use, moving material up and down, not only passengers, but also material, spoil, um, uh, consumables but also just as a recreational um, we've got sort of rowing teams we're trying to encourage the London youth rowers to actually get out on the Thames to actually start using it as a asset that it should be it's in the middle of the Thames it's the largest open space actually in London hardly anyone uses it at this point on the trip I got a real sense of the issue at hand London is a beautiful city in most parts um, full of high-rise buildings and cranes in the sky. You know, there's there's always developments underway. And the boat trip gave me a real sense of, of the beauty of the architecture above the surface. I think at one point we even passed um, Patrick Stewart's uh, flat on, on the kind of riverside. But underneath there was just this myriad of problems that Tideway is attempting to solve as part of this development. And I mentioned Patrick Stewart's flats. As we floated past it, there were some works ongoing for the actual project. A lot of uh, generators, a lot of cranes, and a lot of work going on. And I suppose my first concern was how sustainable is, is all this construction aspects? And Darren was on hand to answer that question. For us to sink up well, what, what we call sinking a shaft, so we dig down about 60 metres and then we put the tunnel boring machine in and uh, start digging the tunnel. We have to build something called a diaphragm wall around the edge of the shaft before we can start digging down. Uh, traditionally you use something called electrophase, um, or no, hydrophase, which is a diesel powered 
um, bits of kit. It's normally about 600 kilowatts, so a massive piece of equipment. Digs down anything up to about 80 meters, takes a panel of earth out, and then we put the um, wire cage in and fill it with the concrete. Um, normally they're diesel powered, which obviously diesel, middle of residential area, you've got the fumes, you've got the noise, you've got the particulates. Um, it's not good for anyone. We've got um, an innovation fund which we've been running uh, for the last couple of years which we've taken over from Crossrail's innovation programme and we've put forward over a million pounds in investment to actually work on new products, new methodologies, new equipment. One of those was actually this um, the hydrophase being powered by electricity instead of diesel. So because we've built new substations actually on site to power the TBM, the tunnel boring machine, we're working with the designers and the manufacturers to actually get the um, hydrophase powered by electric instead of diesel. And it's working really well. It's the world's first. Also because the site, the contractor CVB are on a green tariff for their substation. So in theory, it's the world's first carbon neutral hydrophase. Um, it's working really well. We're moving it down to Deptford in a couple of weeks' time. Um, hopefully get the same job down there. The boat trip took between an hour to an hour and a half, and that covered less than probably half of the actual River Thames. And there's so much work that needs to be done on this project that transportation of materials, of people, of goods and, and of equipment was, was always going to be a challenge. But as we carried on the journey, I noticed a lot of barges going past in certain areas. There was a lot more activity on the actual river than you see elsewhere. And, and this is a deliberate attempt from Tideway to think about the sustainability of its approach to the project. Well, during our environmental impact assessment for our development consent order application, we predicted we'd have about 600,000 lorry movements, which obviously is a huge amount of um, strain and congestion on the constrained sites we're working on, um, on the streets of London. And obviously, if you put anything on an HGV, HGV, the advances have really moved on on the technology, but it's still lorries on the road, which causes congestion, causes an interface with vulnerable road users. So when all our contractors signed our contracts, we gave them a challenge, can you move everything from HGVs onto barges instead? Um, so we've been working with Thames Skills Academy to actually get more uh, barge operators been bringing barges over from Europe as well um, and the idea is obviously we can actually move material by river instead of by um, road you can get up to 50 HGVs worth on one barge so potentially if you can double up barges you've got 100 HGVs in one tug um, apart from just all the usual materials like excavated material that's coming out we're looking at moving our cabins in all our site cabins come in by barge Rachel, our first TBM, Tunnel Boring Machine, came in two weeks ago by barge and that's up at Carnworth Road at the moment. So we've been working with the supply chain to actually get all these materials. We've reduced HGV numbers down by about 72%. Okay. So we're on about um, 100,000 predicted lorry movements instead of the 600,000. And also we're just looking at the improvements we can make with the tugs as well. So. We've been carrying out some monitoring with the mission and analytics to actually assess the carbon levels, the uh, NOx and particulate levels coming out from the exhaust and then hopefully with a company called Eminox they're hopefully going to design a filter that we can trial see if it's actually going to have a positive impact as well. So apart from just thinking in theory it's a positive move moving it onto barge instead of the road. We're actually working out the environmental impact and seeing if we can reduce any kind of impact as well. On the topic of, of the supply chain, um, 
you mentioned on the way out here that as well as those challenges you put in the contract to reduce the amount of HEV movements there, that you're, you're trying to get a few of them to essentially, I suppose, become more sustainable with their sourcing practices as well? Yeah, so we've got um, we've got a contractual requirement that all our key building materials need to come from certified responsible sources, so BES 6001 or equivalent, so UK Cares for steel. Um, unfortunately, that is is quite a lengthy task for any supplier to get certified. But one thing we are we're really encouraged to see our supply chain actually working through the process. So we've got one of our suppliers, Brett Aggregates, that supply marine um, marine based aggregates to our contractors they didn't have 6001 certification but they could see the business benefits of it they're going through the certification process at the moment hopefully they should be certified within the next three months and they'll be the first marine aggregate supplier to actually hold responsible sourcing certificate so it's great that it's not only current suppliers that we're using but and excluding people that don't hold the certification but we're actually encouraging the supply chain to go through the process to improve their practices as well Right, back on dry land and um, back in the Tideway offices. We just walked back past the, uh, the very fancy looking green wall, which um, looks very, very modern and very sustainable, which is good to see. I suppose one thing we didn't really get a chance to touch on uh, on the actual boat, mainly because of the engines, um, is the role that the project plays as a solution. You mentioned um, before the, the sheer amount of, of discharge and, and waste that ends up in, in the Thames as a result. So so how much is this going to stop, essentially? So on average, you're looking at about 40 million cubic metres of uh, discharge every year. Okay. Um, of that, about 10,000 tonnes is uh, sewage-derived litter, so cotton buds, wet wipes, those sort of things. Um, when we're in operation, the aim is that we're going to be capturing the most polluting of the combined sewer outfalls, so the discharge level should probably drop to about uh, 2 million cubic metres. Okay. So we will be taking out the most polluting of the, um, the CSOs. But um, during the actual um, examination, during the actual design work, obviously they assessed which ones uh, discharged the most. Some of them we're not connected because there's no need because there's all really minor uh, discharge. So the amount of money it costs and the amount of materials to actually connect all of those it wasn't seen viable um, to actually collect. So okay. it's going to be on average about from 40 million cubic metres down to about 2 million cube. Which is a huge, yeah, huge substantial yeah. drop. And um, I'm glad you actually brought up the, uh, the finance aspect of it because um, I'm sure this does have a, a rather hefty price add to it. But in my, um, in my research beforehand, I noticed that, that Tideway and, and, and the, the Thames Project has quite a big involvement in, in the green bonds market, if you'd care to elaborate on that. Mm. So the project is quite unique, or is very unique in its funding arrangement. So the whole scheme, we've got um, a potential budget of about £4.2 billion, um, and we've got three means of funding. Um, one is um, from Thames Water customers, so they had a bit of... A premium added onto their bills for a number of years to actually pay for about a third of the scheme. Another third is from the European Investment Bank, uh, which luckily we secured that before um, some people voted to opt out of Europe. <laughs> so we've got um, the same rate on that European Investment Bank. And then the third is we've got actual four investment companies who provide um, some of the funds which 
they're linked to about two million pensioners. So we've got about two million pension funds actually investing their pensions in in our project. Once it's in in operation, they actually get the money back um, through the fees that we charge Thames Water. But part of that investment, instead of just the normal way of um, issuing debt, we looked at it and we were thinking actually the market in green bonds and green finances and hasn't really been explored for this kind of funding arrangement before. So um, we looked into it, our treasury department looked into it and we actually started um, pursuing the option of issuing green bonds instead of normal bonds. So normal bonds are very secure, but if you can guarantee that you're a sustainable project, then in theory, it's a really guaranteed return on investment. So we adopted and to pursue the green bonds route, we developed a framework. We were we're lucky enough to be considered uh, a pure play project, which means every penny we spend in theory has a sustainable means. Okay. So, which obviously helps with our assessment, um, with ourselves and the Treasury Department. We worked on developing a green framework for issuing the bonds. Uh, we're actually opening up the stock exchange um, to actually launch the actual green bonds. We only wanted for this one, because we're assessed by S&P, um, we're really pleased on our score, 95%, um, which is their highest global score ever. Oh, wow. Um, so we're very pleased, especially since it's our first dipping our toes in the water in green finance. Um, we only needed 250 million for this particular um, set of funding arrangements. Within two hours, we were offered 890 million pounds. That's crazy. So it shows that um, the green finance is really viable option. Um, it's option for funding infrastructure projects, and it's just seen as such a good investment uh, for investment companies. So we actually scaled it down from 890 million to 450 million, um, which in one go is still pretty significant. Mm. And we're the largest um, green bonds issuer in sterling to date so which we're really pleased about that's yeah that's really impressive and and that that initial i suppose feedback that initial offer was that that based on the fact that the project was essentially almost guaranteed to deliver in regards to sustainability um is is that why the interest came from uh, the insurers saw that actually this this is a viable green yeah, investment there's not that many um green bonds in infrastructure being offered so far there's yeah. only been three in the uk as far as we know um, Angling Water, TfL, Unilever have um, done it for part of their um, scope as well, so mm. part of their operations. And it was just when we were looking into it, we were saying because we could uh, go for this pure play option, um, because we are guaranteed to be in operation for 120 years, which okay. is the design guaranteed design life of the asset, mm. um, it's a guaranteed return. So in theory, we have to be, we, we are a sustainable project. Um, we can prove it not just through the construction, but also all the measures we're putting in place to actually minimise the impact. Yeah. So why not just take it the extra step and actually get the funded in um, through by using our sustainability credentials to actually secure the funding to pay for a sustainable project. Definitely. And and do you feel that it was the um, the lifetime of the project, the I suppose the solution to to the waste, or the fact that you've um, considered the environmental impact of the actual construction phase that was most appealing to the investors? Um, I think it's a bit of everything really. Yeah. Because it's a project that um, it has a, you can justify this project. So it's one that, again, the majority of people in London support. Like mm -hmm. We hardly have any objections now 
um, is everyone sees the project. When you actually explain to people what the project's doing, and when you see it cropping up around London, mm. um, when you explain to people, people can't believe that this still goes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In sort of 2018, that we're still discharging raw sewage into the Thames in a capital city. Yeah, so makes no sense. So you just can't believe that happens. So it's a project that everyone supports, um, and by minimising the impact as well, um, again, it's just... it. Is just seen as an attractive option to the investors. Okay, and um, you mentioned the the kind of huge time, uh, well, the lifespan of the project once it's completed. And on the boat trip, we saw um, a fair few cranes and some of the uh, the electric generators that you uh, you alluded to um, earlier. So when when can we expect this project um, to be completed and, and fully functioning? And um, we. We've got various programs that we work to, um, whether or not it's our agreed program under our development consent order. Um, we challenge our supply chain to be a bit smarter about how we construct it, how we commission this and get it the actual asset into operation. Actually, today we are 22% of the project complete. So okay. even though it only looks like some of the sites are only starting up, we're in theory a quarter of the way through. We're hopefully, um, we're trying to agree commissioning dates but it looks like it's about a five to six year construction program we're already two years into it um, we're aiming for completion again depends if it's completion or commissioning because otherwise then we upset my systems integrator colleagues <laughs> um, so but it will be fully completed in operation um, within six years of license award Okay, well, brilliant, and I'm sure there'll be lots of um, updates along that six-year time span as well. Um, but Darren, thank you very much for um, entertaining me today, taking me out on the uh, the boat tour. It's certainly, I think, a, a first for me. So uh, thank you very much, and um, I'll well, yeah, enjoy enjoy the rest of your day. I take it there's no more boat tours uh, today lined up. No, there's nothing <laughs> more today. Um, in about a year's time, I'll be able to actually take you down to the tunnel. Oh so, yeah, that would be which, um, be which actually going in a tunnel, um, which would be the deepest tunnel in London. Uh, having gone down the lead tunnel uh, in a rickety old lift um, <laughs> is quite quite an experience. I um, yeah, I, I hope for the better that experience. <laughs> but um, I, I will, I suppose, I'll look forward to that. But um, yeah, that would be a, that'd be a great little follow-up session. Um, but yeah, again, uh, Darren, thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you. So there you have it: a sewage system fit for urban expansion. And as Darren mentioned during that interview, um, those sustainability practices, they're pretty much set in stone. It's not just, that's not greenwash. That is, that is, that has to deliver because Tideway is the largest corporate issuer of CPI-linked green bonds worth 275 million. Mm. So that's quite a lot. Um, but while I have been talking all things sewage on a boat this past couple of weeks, George has been manning the ship in the office. See you there, eh? So, George, alongside the uh, ridiculous amount of surveys that you've been uh, collating, putting together and, and sending out, what has caught your eye this week? Um, good question. So, this week, and like many other weeks this year, uh, my time has been dedicated largely to the war and waste. Um, so, as our listeners will know, the, the uh, plastics agenda has well, just skyrocketed in the last yeah. couple of months um, following various media um, publications. We obviously had the Blue Planet 2 series with David Attenborough, and since then uh, the corporate world has just taken this on um, like nothing I've seen in my time here at ED. Um, in the last week alone, we've seen um, companies from various sectors 
take up this war on plastics. Uh, this week started with Network Rail announcing mm-hmm. that there would be um, free water fountains uh, implemented at national stations, which I think, for one, is a godsend. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, considering the amount of times I've come off the Victoria Line hot, sweaty, gasping <laughs> for air. Um, so, yeah, many thanks to Network Rail for that. Uh, that was followed by a story that Scotland could be on course to become the first country to ban plastic straws. As you'll know, Matt, um, mm-hmm. Scotland's been a pioneer in the plastics agenda. Uh, last month, the country vowed to ban the sale and manufacture of plastic stemmed cotton buds. Um, so it's good to see that Scotland is continuing its efforts in uh, this agenda. Um, interestingly, the plastics um, agenda even reached the royal family this week. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so internal caterers at Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, other royal estates um, will now only be allowed to use china plates and glasses or recyclable paper cups. So guests at the royal wedding, unlike other royal occasions, won't be allowed to use plastic knives and forks when they tuck into their sausage rolls in chicken volibons. Yeah, I was about to say, I can't, I can't quite picture the royal family or, or their guests using plastic straws or, or, or plastic cutleries, really. I, I'm, you know, I, imagine, I always associate those types of items with, especially at kind of events, with like kind of children's parties. You've got your little hat, mm. your little hat on your little paper plate. So... Mm. Um, no, I wonder. I wonder how the Queen will cope without her, you know, without her supply of plastic straws. I doubt she's probably she probably never had to use one. Probably. No. So I'm, I'm sure, you know, while it's a good step, I doubt the, uh, I doubt they're gonna, you know, lose sleep over it. <laughs> but still, you know, it, it's positive when um when the royal family get on board with something, it, it it makes the public sit up and take notice as well, doesn't it? Precisely, precisely. And then yesterday, as I got home from work, uh, I tuned into BBC One, the One Show. Uh, which I can safely say I haven't done this entire year. Um, and yeah, I'm glad I did because 10 minutes into the show, we had Lucy Siegel there, who's the environmental uh, journalist, and she made the announcement that the BBC would aim to go plastic three within the next three years, which is fantastic news to see um, you know, a leading broadcaster taking um, up the mantle and leading by example. Um, so yeah, as, as I said, we've had all these great initiatives in the past week alone. I think the big task now is to see how these initiatives will actually work in practice yeah, and definitely. whether this agenda, which obviously snowballed in the last couple of months, can continue in its momentum once you know the newspaper headlines, which have been dominated mm. by the plastics agenda, you know, move on to the next topic because this isn't going to it's not, not going to continue in the same fashion forever. So that's when the real task for these corporates and other organisations, the Royal Estate, mm. can they continue and make good on their word to tackle plastic waste? Yeah, I mean, it, it, a pledge is a pledge, isn't it? Mm. You still have to have to deliver it in, um, in, in, in any sense. It can be as small as, you know, pledging to change something about your lifestyle or it can be something as broadly sweeping as eliminating plastic from your from your use by, by 2020. But... Um, it still needs to be delivered, and you know, routes to market for for alternatives need to need to come through. Which brings me nicely on to the little innovation of the week um, segment that I'm going to wrap up this show with, actually. Um, and I think innovation has been in the last week or two quite a quite a buzz at an, at an international level, largely driven by Elon Musk 
and his um, and his SpaceX expedition. Essentially, mm. he, he's kind of lived out that long-held dream of his earlier this week. Um, he rocketed his own Tesla Roadster into space. Um, Starman sitting in the in the driver's seat with a little dope panic um, reference to Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy. It was all it was all very PR orientated in that sense. But you know. Um, the actual Falcon Heavy test flight is essentially reusable rockets, which really? yeah. Know. So um, some of the uh, some of the rockets actually come back down launching and come back down. They land, although one of them's missing. I think it's landed. <laughs> really? It's landed in the ocean somewhere. It didn't come back oh, down dear. how it meant to. But two out of three ain't bad. So, um, mm. so you've got that, and um, yeah, I I can't remember the the numbers off the top of my head, but it's it's about. I think it was like ninety million pounds or nine hundred million pounds, something with a nine cheaper than uh, than a similar kind of heavy test flight. Mm. So the potential is there, um, but that is not my innovation of the week. Um, mine is kind of sticking on that kind of plastic. Or it's that resource efficiency theme. Mm. Um, and before we had the, uh, the plastics, coffee cups were public enemy number one. Mm. We had the uh, proposed uh, latte levy. Um, um, which has seen retailers look to alternatives to um, paper cups, pa- paper coffee cups, which have plastic lining in them and mm. just can't be handled by UK facilities. Or if they can, they're contaminated or they're not recycled in the right place. There's a, there's a whole myriad of problems on it. But this latest innovation actually tackles two, I suppose, coffee-related birds with one stone. Um, I don't know if I pronounced this right, but was beans or was beans? It's one of the two. It's essentially a reusable coffee cup that is made with um, waste from spent coffee grounds. Okay. So the actual cup is 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 made from coffee beans. Um, it uses biocomposite technology, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to to fully know what that means. Um, it's essentially a fusion of plant and and kind of. Uh, plastics, but in a way that can, it can be upcycled into waste streams and apparently reduces the actual carbon footprint of the cup as well and saves money, theoretically. Um, it's developed by a company called Cambond and the company claimed that wasp beans is entering the final stages of production, which means we could see them on the market by kind of autumn 2018. And it's it's got a really. It's just got a nice story behind it. There are loads of reusable cups. There are mm. loads of keep cups, um, and there's and there's a load of discounts on these cups at the moment right now. Mm. I, I imagine that every family that commutes has at least one person probably has some sort of keep cup. Yeah. I have given reusable cups to every member of my family because we get sent so many. I think at the forum last week, Starbucks sent a whole box full mm. to us, um, which is great. You know, I'd rather be drowning in a sea of reusable cups than a, than a sea of cups that just that get get thrown into kind of litter streams that way. So I'm predicting that by the end of 2018, we'll have a few of these waspin cups in in the office, and my family members will undoubtedly have some um, as well. Um, so yeah, uh, quite a resource. Efficient, mm. uh, heavy, heavy podcast. Everything from sewage to plastics to coffee, which is which is great to see. I, I remember at one point last year on the website where everything was just kind of SDG related or EV related, and and waste and and resource efficiency was kind of a really un not unheard of, but I suppose underappreciated aspect sure. of of our of our sector, and it's clearly. It's clearly the hot topic at the moment in early twenty eighteen, early twenty eighteen, and and uh, long may that continue. But I yeah, I think that's it for about 
um, this week's episode. We'll be back again soon. I'm, I'm hoping within the next couple of weeks. Um, George, you uh, you headed back to university recently. That's right, and not not just for educational purposes. This was this was this was work. Yes, it was work. Um, I went down to the University of Sussex. The, the nostalgia was just incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Walking through campus without a hangover was quite a nice experience, though. Um, so, yeah, I went down to the university. This was on uh, behalf of a, um, an on-site generation story, mm. which we were looking to cover. Uh, university of Sussex has just installed the largest um, solar installation in higher education sector. Oh, wow. Um, 3,000 photovoltaics. Um, generating 5% of the campus's electricity demand. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, go, I went down and spoke to the energy manager there, and, uh, yeah, he, he took me on a tour. Uh, we discussed how solar and other techn- technological solutions are helping the university to meet its energy demand. And we also discussed, um, you know, how to get staff on board, and as well as um, the students there, because... Um, as we'll see in the next couple of days, it's uh, Go Green Week in yeah, okay, the university yeah. sector, which is basically uh, a scheme which is trying to create behaviour change within the higher education. Mm. Um, and quite good that a lot of these projects are being led by the students. Um, the student voice seems to be huge right now in terms of, you know, helping the sustainability agenda, creating climate justice. We've seen so many stories in the last weeks of uh, universities divesting from fossil fuel funds and it's great to see that young people are are, are driving this agenda. Brilliant, well that'll be, um, be I look forward to that episode next week then, a trip down memory lane for George. Mm -hmm. Um, You sure that Luke didn't actually go with you and just ended up catching precious blue (laughs) or something, maybe that's why he isn't here. Mm -hmm. Um, But either way, um, you can listen to that episode and this episode via iTunes, just search for Sustainable Business Covered, or by um, accessing it via our website. Um, But until that next episode, it's a goodbye from George. Goodbye. And a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.